many times by people that we know and that we love, why it's folly to follow Christ and be a part of the church. One of the strongest objections to being a follower of Christ, and please don't take this wrong, but one of the biggest objections to being a follower of Christ is you and I. His body, the church, the sons and daughters of God. Albert Camus, 20th century French philosopher, spent much of his time in the United States. He was also an atheist. He declared this. I could be a follower of Christ except for the leprous body he drags behind him. How do you like that? Does it make you feel warm and fuzzy? (laughs) He's not the only one that has declared such things about the church. Different atheists and different publishers, different authors have said these things about you and I as well. That we are unsophisticated and childish. That if we are Christians, we are racist, we are exclusive, we are chauvinistic, and we are presumptuous. We've also been called narrow, uneducated, and intolerant. And of course, the ever-popular, ever-present, hypocritical. Every time I see someone or meet someone that says they don't want to go to church because it's filled with hypocrites, I freely admit they're absolutely right. I say, yeah, we are. But there's always room for one more, and we welcome you to come and join us at church. And if that's not enough, the real kicker in why the world rejects the church and the Christian message is history. That's right. History. The church of Jesus Christ, his body, his bride, his children, have by their own actions degraded, defamed, degraced, and denounced the name of the one they say they love and revere, Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we have been given the Inquisition. In the name of Jesus, we have been given the not-so-holy Roman Empire. In the name of Jesus, we have had dropped on our shores and throughout the world black slaves from Africa. In the name of Jesus, we have murdered and tortured and been filled with with greed. It's no wonder the world looks at the church and says, not for me. Let me offer you one poignant example. In that century, 16th to 17th century, between 1550 and 1650, a lot of things were happening in our world. Now, the Protestant Reformation started around 1513. And so uh, the Protestants were fighting with the Catholics. The Catholics were fighting with the Protestants. They were torturing each other, and different monarchs in Europe were deciding whether they were Catholic or Protestant. And it was a big mess in the world. In the midst of that, um, uh, Spanish ships, uh, armadas, were sent to another part of the world to discover new lands. And one of the new lands they discovered was um, the Caribbean islands. And I'll talk specifically about Barbados. So as this uh, Spanish Inquisition, during the Spanish Inquisition, they come, and they have three things that they're supposed to do uh, based uh, from the king of Spain. Number one, they're supposed to find new lands. 
uh, so that uh, the Spanish name would be known throughout the world. Number two, they were supposed to find riches, specifically gold and silver. And number three, they were supposed to convert the pagans that were living there, wherever they discovered. So one of the immediate problems that um, the Catholic Church had on the island of Barbados was what to do with the Carib Indians. Now, the first thing they did was uh, kill a bunch of them to kind of uh, call out the ones that were going to be a problem and those who weren't. And then one of the priests would say, you know what? One of the things we came to do was to reach these poor pagan people, these heathen, with the Christian message. And so what are we going to do about that? So, well, let's try and convert them to Christianity, which meant for them to make them dress in Spanish clothes and act like Spanish people, uh, which didn't go very well with the Carib Indians. After a while, it was becoming very unfruitful and the Indians weren't buying into Christianity. And so they had kind of a summit there in Barbados among the religious leaders. And they said, we've got a problem. We're not converting them to Christianity. That's what the king of Spain told us to do. What should we do? After much discussion, they said the easiest way to go about this is to declare that the Carib Indians have no souls. Okay, it's clean, easy. They have no souls. Doesn't matter if we kill them. Doesn't matter if we enslave them. It just doesn't matter. All of this done in the name of Christianity. All of this done in the name of Christ. At the same time, Spanish, Dutch, French, and English ships were stopping at the Portuguese port on the African coast and stealing African Africans to be enslaved. They dropped them on the new uh, the, the new place that we called the Americas, and they would drop many of them off in the Caribbean islands because they paid so well. Here's another problem. Uh, what do we do with these black slaves? Now, they were talking about Christianity in the world. And they said, well, we're not going to teach them. It was against the law to let them learn the alphabet. Did you know that? Against the, this is on Barbados, 1550 to 1650, against the law to teach them the alphabet, because if we do that, they may learn to read. And if they learn to read, we've got a serious problem because there'll be an insurrection and that will ruin our economic growth. So that's what they did. That also was a problem because uh, some of the the uh, the priests said, you know, we're supposed to save these people's souls, the Carib Indians and these black slaves. But they decided that that, too, was economically unfeasible because they couldn't read. They couldn't write. Therefore, blacks must have no souls as well. Now, friends, please hear this. This is the name of Christianity. This is what the Inquisition was all about. The Catholics were killing the Protestants. The Protestants were killing the Catholics. They were all torturing each other and burning them. One time, Barbados was Catholic for 50 years, and they didn't find out for 50 years that uh, the king of Spain had switched to being a Protestant, and now they should be Protestants. Back and forth, back and forth. No wonder the Church of England and the Spanish Catholicism was certainly the leprous body of Christ. Done in the name of Christ. But please hear this. Something done in the name of Christ never makes it Christian. Lest we become too critical of our European ancestors, our own history of embracing slavery because it was economically feasible, and the church preached that it was the right thing to do in Southern Protestantism, driving Native Americans into reservations, much like they would drive the Carib Indians to the center of Barbados, and they would shoot them for sport because, well, they have no souls. Burning infidels at the stake in the northwest part of the United States 
In the 1930s and 40, early 40s, many churches in the Northwest preached that Hitler was right about the Jews. The core of the Ku Klux Klan comes from Southern Protestantism. And the list goes on and on and on. The leprous body of Christ, indeed. Now that I've managed to offend some of you and depress all of you, uh, can I say this? Welcome to Hope Covenant Church. We're glad that you've come to visit our church. All of this, I want you to understand, this is not my, this is not my bias. This is history. This is what the church has done for hundreds of years. But we have to understand something. We have to ask the question, how can that be so wrong? How can the church have done it so wrong? How can we have gotten it so wrong all of these years, for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, 2,000 years? Well, part of it is if you call yourself a Christian, that doesn't make you a Christian. In fact, you can sit in a church all day long and that doesn't save your soul. Any more than sitting in a garage makes you an automobile. It just doesn't work that way. The Bible says that it's not something you do so much. It's something about the transformation of your heart and your life. And when you do that, the values that you have are no longer the values of the world, but the values of Jesus Christ. Matthew seven twenty one says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You can say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, all day long. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, all day long. You can say all the right things, and that doesn't make you saved. Only the transforming power of Jesus Christ in your heart is what can save you. So here's what happens. We have adopted the values of the world, and we've tried to Christianize them. That's exactly the opposite of what God wants us to do. Let me tell you a story about Mickey Cohen. Anybody ever heard of Mickey Cohen? L.A. gangster, 1940s. Uh, even though his heritage was Jewish, he was one of the most powerful uh, gangsters and uh, crews in all of the United States, almost as powerful as some of the crews in Chicago. So Mickey Cohen has this operation in Los Angeles, and he had a lot of the police officers in his, back, in his pockets in those days. But in the late 1940s, his main thing was gambling, illegal gambling, which in those days all gambling was e illegal. Sometimes I wish we'd go back there. Uh, gambling was illegal and prostitution. And that's what he made all of his money in. And if somebody tried to stop him, well, then he would go to the next step of mayhem and murder. But that was Mickey Cohen. Now, Mickey loved to hang around with the uh, with the Hollywood crowd. Uh, some of the people he hung with was uh, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, Peter Crawford, uh, Humphrey Bogart. These are the people he, he always liked to have his picture taken and hang around these people. Well, he heard that um, a young man was coming to town and he was gaining a lot of popularity. In fact, he was going to have a crusade. And his name was Billy Graham, 1949, Los Angeles. He had this crusade. Well, he heard about this young preacher. He was intrigued. And so he asked for a private audience. So Billy Graham met with, with Mickey Cohen and a bunch of other, his gangster friends and some other Hollywood types and, uh, in a small room, and Billy preached a message. At the end of the message, Mickey Cohen felt something inside of him that was stirring, and so he raised his hand and he prayed the prayer of salvation that uh, Billy Graham taught him. Afterwards, Billy Graham said, Now you need to uh, come to a crusade and confess your newfound faith in Christ. 
And uh, Mickey Cohen was happy to do that because he always wanted his picture taken with famous people, popular people, and Billy Graham was that. Shortly after that, when there was absolutely no change in Mickey Cohen's life, when there's absolutely no transformation in his life, here's what Mickey Cohen told Billy Graham, and I quote, You never told me I had to give up my career. Interesting choice of words. There are Christian movie stars, Christian athletes, Christian businessmen. So what's wrong? What's the matter with being a Christian gangster? And Mickey Cohen said, if this is what it takes for me to change my whole career and change the way I do my life, you can count me out. So Mickey Cohen was kind of comical, really, and outrageous in his statement. But isn't he really echoing millions of professing Christians who, while never admitting it, through their lives, pose the same question about being Christianized versions of what they already are and are determined to remain? Do you know what C.S. Lewis calls these Christianized versions of ourselves? He calls them hyphenated Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the last thing I want to be in this world is a hyphenated Christian. I don't want to be a preacher who's a Christian. I don't want to be a businessman who's a Christian. I don't want to be a football player who's a Christian. I don't want to be a gangster who's a Christian. I want to be my whole identity. I want to be Christ in me, in all I do, in all I say, in all I think. And yes, coincidentally, I also do some preaching and I also do some this and I do some of that. But I am a Christian. I'm not a hyphenated anything. I'm a child of the king and I am fully engaged in everything his life is engaged in. And that's the problem we see in the history of Christianity. Christianized versions of themselves, Christianized versions of explorers, Christianized versions of priests, Christianized versions of kings. All of these, they remain, keep their identity, but nothing has changed inside. God has called us to repentance. Repentance means to walk one way and turn around completely a 180 and walk the opposite direction. It doesn't mean, well, I'm a Christian, but I still want to do my own thing. And I still want to be my own guy and all of that. It's not. It's turning around and walking the opposite direction. No hyphenated Christians. Here's the problem with the history of Christianity. Christians have adopted the vision and the personality of the world and then tried to function in it. And the vision of the world is always the same. It's never changed. It's always power, money, and self-promotion. It's never changed, and it never will. The world, everything we see in the world around us is about power, money, and self-promotion. Jesus comes along and says, everything that you believe is wrong. Turn it upside down. But instead, the church has tried so hard to be a Christian version of power, money, and self-promotion. And Jesus said in Revelation, if you're not hot or cold, If you're trying to be lukewarm, if you're trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I will not tolerate that kind of namby-pamby weakness of trying to live in both worlds. You're either in or you're out. So here's the history of Christianity. Money, power, and self-promotion with the name Christian applied to it. It doesn't work.
I don't want to be a Christian who seeks power. I don't want to be a Christian who craves money. I don't want to be a Christian who pursues self-promotion. Those are hyphenated Christians. So, Pastor, if we're not to live for power and money and self-promotion, that's what we're taught all the time in this world. That's what we teach our children. What are we to find and experience here on earth that looks like Jesus Christ? What is it that we can do and how can we live our lives such that the world looks at us and doesn't say, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Look at your history. Look at the way you're living your life now. How can we live our lives now so that the world will say to us, okay, maybe that is something I want to investigate, like Dick Danger talked about. Maybe that is something I want to look into. But what I don't want, the world says, is a Christian version of me. I don't want it. I don't want to just look like everybody else, only I claim the name of Jesus. God says that's not acceptable. So what can we expect? If we do it God's way, if we can't expect power, money, and self-promotion, what can we expect when we are a church that looks like Jesus, lives like Jesus, and acts like Jesus? Let me tell you three things you can expect to look like and to experience if you do that. And the first thing, and you're going to love this, the first thing is pain. So, oh boy, you know. Yeah. What did you learn in church today? Well, I learned that uh, what I can expect if I'm a true follower of Jesus Christ is I can expect pain. Well, I'm sorry, but that's absolutely true. Listen to John 15, 18 and 19. If Jesus is speaking, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. That is why that when a preacher in in um, uh, in 18, uh, excuse me, uh, a preacher. Yeah. In like 1825 stands up in a Southern Baptist church in in uh, Mississippi and says that slavery is wrong, according to the Bible. That's why he didn't have anybody in his church. So why nobody went to his church. He wasn't a preacher anymore. Nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody wanted to hear that. The painful news is that God has called us to a different standard, not money, power and self-promotion, but pain and hatred is what we can expect. I had a, when I first went to my church in Denver, it was a small, struggling covenant church. And one of the things that God has gifted me with in my ministry is to be able to go to a small church and help it grow. And so that's what they wanted me to do. And I was willing to do that. And so after a few weeks of preaching, Don, who was one of the elders of the church, and, uh, and he made sure everybody knew that he was also one of the big givers in the church. In a small church, those things happen, by the way. Thankfully, it doesn't happen at our church. But um, Don came up to me and he said, you know what, Dwayne, you, you, need, to, you need to back off. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, this, this gospel, this commitment, this thing that you're talking about, that it's going to cost us, we're going to have to sacrifice our lives, and it's going to cost us, and it's not going to be easy. Back off a little bit. You need to tell people how nice and wonderful the Christian life is, how warm and fuzzy and bunny-fied it is, how, how neat it is, and how cozy it is. And I said, well, you know what? I could say that. That's just not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is... There's pain here. There's hatred here. See, we don't, this, this world that we live in isn't our world. It's not our destination. Our destination is eternity with God. All things will be made new. You know that. 
But sometimes we get stuck in the fact that this is it. Right now, this is it. My stuff, my relationships, my education, my job, that this is it. No, listen, we're just passing through. Because if we think this is it, money, power, and self-promotion matters more than anything. But if we recognize what God told us through his son Jesus, that no, if you follow me, you're going to experience pain. You're going to experience hatred. People are not going to like you. I mean, Jesus didn't live and die so that we could be safe. It costs. And there's pain involved in sacrifice. I think most of you know that um, Sherry and I were called to Hope Covenant Church back in 2000, a summer of 2000. The church was quite small, met in a strip mall uh, over by Floridino's on Alma School in Erie. And, um, you know, 35, 40 people, small church, uh, didn't have much money, um, but they needed a pastor. Their pastor had been go- was gone for a while. And, uh, and so they called me. They couldn't find anybody good, so they called me. And, uh, and so it turned out to be a great marriage, and it was wonderful how God used all that. But in those early days, I can't tell you how hard it was. But yet, I, I don't know that any of us thought it was hard, Brian. We didn't think it was hard. But it cost us, every one of us, we're just digging deep in our pockets. We were just finding a way to have more money, more time. Everybody did 20 ministries. Everybody was doing the best they could. It was hard. It was difficult. In fact, if you were part of the church when we used to be at the strip mall, would you stand up? I want everybody to see how many people were involved in that. Yeah, that, that was it. Yeah, we were, we were quite a crew. Yeah. <laughs> in the first service, there was like six people. The first service is much bigger in terms of attendance than this service. But there was like six people out of all these people. So, yeah, I was part of that. But he, here's the deal. Even though we were a few people, every one of us knew that we were in it. We met at uh, Bruce and Stacy's home when I first got there and uh, to talk about what kind of church we were going to be and what we were going to do. And we, it was about 20 of us gathered there. Most of the church was there. And we gathered and said, what kind of church do we want to be? And we decided that we wanted to be a church that looked like Jesus. Now, when we said that and when we believed that, we didn't really know what we were getting into. It sounded good. It sounds spiritual, doesn't it? So looking like Jesus, okay, there's love, certainly, compassion, forgiveness, grace. All, we see all those things in Jesus. But sometimes we forgot about the dark side of being like Jesus. Uh, you know, the part about being beaten and spit on and hated and crucified. And if, you're, if you're signing up for Jesus, you're signing up for all of him and all of what he... And in this world that is flowing one way and Christians are flowing the other way, it's going to be hard and it's going to be painful. There's going to be opposition. It's going to cost... I mean, you're going to have to dig deep in your pocket to make this work. It's, it's just going to be cost. It's going to cost. We knew that there would be a lot of pain involved. But there's something else. When you look at the Gospels that you realize that Jesus calls us to as the church, the second thing he calls us to is, is risk. Does that make you feel good? I mean, I still, even though pain and risk are not good things, I'd still rather have that than, than be what the church has been in our history, Right? Well, you know the story in Matthew 14, uh, and I'll, you can read the story. It's in your bulletin, but um, I'll just tell you the story. Uh, Peter and the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee. There was a tremendous storm that came up. It buffeted their boat, and they're about ready to sink. And as they were struggling, wondering how are we going to survive and all of that, 
uh, while the boat was kind of going like this, Jesus came walking by. And, and literally, it says that Jesus was walking by as if he was going to pass them. You know, it wasn't like he was walking towards them. He was walking by. So Jesus comes cruising by, which is interesting in itself. And um, and uh, the, the disciples said, wow, look at that. And Peter said, I think that's Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, come on over here. Get out of the boat, boat, gird your loins. Come on over here. Let's go. And so Peter did that. You know, Peter didn't think usually. He just acted. He was very impetuous. But he believed in Jesus and he loved Jesus. So, yeah, I'm going to do it. So he girded his loins, jumped out of the boat, and he started walking towards Jesus. And then the Bible says that Peter saw the storm. How do you see a storm? Well, you see the waves. And he looks back and sees the boats all disheveled and the men are back there and it's scary and everything. And as soon as Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, he begins to sink, right? So that's the story. And we know the story. And we say, well, Peter, you didn't have very much faith. And Peter, uh, you failed, you fell in, you fell in the water, you didn't really make it. And, but, you know, I don't see it that way. I don't see Peter as a failure. I see 11 men who just refused to take a risk. They just refused. How, how many times have we seen this? You know, we, we see it in church, right? We see it all through our lives. People look back and, and watching. Other, I, I'd never do that. You know, that's... That's ridiculous. I mean, look at Peter. I mean, we've known the guy's kind of, you know, one taco short of a combo plate. Come on, you know, let's, you know, you know this isn't so. He's, look at him. He's out there making a fool of himself, falling. In. You know, 11 men stood back with that kind of an attitude. They just weren't, they were so risk adverse, they wouldn't do anything. Everything in the New Testament is about taking a risk. And the risk is always tied to the possible return, isn't it? You like, for instance, if your house is on fire, and um, uh, you know the only thing left in the house—forgive uh, me, Karen Worcester—everything is in the house except the cat. You know what? I'm not going back. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I'm, but if it's a child, right? The risk is tied to the possible return, and return helps determine the risk. And, and, and here's what we decided as a church when we start, first back in 2000, when we started this idea of what does it look like to be a church like Jesus? It, it, it's this. We said, we'll, we'll risk anything. We'll do anything short of sin to reach one more person for Christ. We'll do anything. I know people think that we're dumb and that we're not very this and we're not very that. and But we'll do anything. I'll, I'll tell you what anything looks like. It was... That small group of people digging deep in their pockets and giving money they, they couldn't give to anything else and, and saying, I'll, I'll risk it. Because for me, the return is the opportunity, the chance, the possibility that one more person would come to Christ. In 2007, we anointed and blessed 40 people in our church, 40 people that we loved and we do love still. And we blessed them and said, Go and plant a church with Kent and Blanca Bertrand called The Bridge now, uh, ministering in Gilbert. Did it cost us? Well, of course it cost us. These were our friends, people that we worshipped with, people that gave money to in our offering plate to help us do our ministry. And we blessed them and it takes risk. In 2010, we planted another church in Levine with Masterpiece. The return? Lives being one for Jesus Christ. We do the goofiest things. I mean, when I tell people what we do on Easter, that we don't even go to church on Easter. We go to Tumbleweed Park. And we spend a lot of money last year. Your money. 
that you put in the offering plate. We spent, it cost us about $3,000 to pull that thing off. And we went to rent the facilities and all the food and everything. And we did that. And we fed people food. We fed over, over a thousand people breakfast. We didn't ask for anything in return. We had this gigantic Easter egg hunt. And we did all of it for one reason. Just on chance, they might stumble into that pavilion and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and have their lives transformed by the power of the gospel. Is that worth $3,000? You ask the about a dozen people in our church now that were saved that day at Tumbleweed. You ask them if it's worth it. The risk is worth it. We decide that we'll do anything. And, and, and we've done a lot of crazy things and we've failed a lot of times. We were at, uh, I was talking to some pastor friends a while ago and uh, they were saying, we we're talking about different things we did and everything. And one of them said, you know what? It seems like everything you guys do at Hope works. I said, are you kidding? About two thirds of the things we do fail and fail spectacularly. And we're, we're, you know, we just, oh, that was terrible. Let's try something else. But here's been our motto from day one. And you know this. Risk, fail, learn, adjust. That's the gospel. If this doesn't work, let's try this. Risk, fail, learn, adjust. Can you say that with me? Risk, fail, learn, adjust. Why? Because as long as there's one person that's lost in our community and in our world, and one girl is on the street being trafficked, And one Navajo person that doesn't know about Jesus, as long as there's one person that still needs Jesus Christ, will risk everything as a church to make that happen. The lost are not just lost on earth. If people, and we heard this several weeks ago, there's only one way to salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And if that's the only way... And if people are lost, that means if they leave this world without Jesus Christ, they'll be lost for eternity. And that's called hell. And I don't want that for anyone. Risk, fail, learn, adjust. Well, there's one more thing, and I hope you get fired up about this one. It's loss. Loss. Listen to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. That kind of loss is scary. Does that mean I lose my identity? Yeah, it's exactly what it means. Does that mean I lose my personhood? Uh, yeah, it's exactly what it means. It means is you, you lose everything. You abandon everything to Jesus. So often we're trying to be these hyphenated Christians. Uh, a Christianized version of Dwayne. God forbid. That doesn't have any power. But I want Christ in me, the hope of glory, being part of the world, shining the light of Jesus, loving people, serving people so that they will see and know that Jesus Christ is real. And if I have to lose my life, lose my everything, lose my money, I'll do it. I I have a friend. His name's Joe Laughlin. We went to college together and we were on the same track in engineering and everything. And our senior year, a headhunter came after both of us. And wanted us for this really good job. And uh, at the time, I was really struggling with ministry and whether I was going to go in ministry or not. So I didn't go that direction, but Joe did. 
Well, you should see, he's still in San Diego, you should see where he lives and how he lives. Opulence, beautiful, he's got all the toys, all the cars, all the stuff. He's happy, he's, everything's all great. And one time when I saw him several years ago, he said, Dwayne, don't you ever regret that you don't have all this stuff? <laughs> Just for a nanosecond, I kind of did. Because I'm a human and I'm flawed. But then I thought, are you kidding me? God has given me the privilege over the life of my ministry, especially the last 10 years at Hope, to see hundreds of people come to Jesus Christ. God bless Christian engineers, but I don't want that for me. God bless them, nothing wrong with that. But I want to make sure that if I lose my life, it's for the right thing. So how about you? Risk, pain, loss. If we start embracing these things that God has called us to as a community of faith, if we start hold, stop holding on so tightly to our wallets because we need something else, which, by the way, we never need. If we stop holding on to our time and hoarding it to ourselves, oh, I need my own time instead of just abandoning everything for the cause of the cross. Pain risk, and loss. I don't know about you, friends, but here's, here's my testimony. Sign me up. Sign me up. I want my life to matter. I don't want a hyphen in my name. I don't want to be some Christianized form of Duane. I want to be abandoned to the gospel. I want to experience all that Jesus did, which was grace and glory, but it was also pain and risk and loss. And if I need to do that so that one more person will come to know Christ, sign me up. If you don't want part of that, you probably better find a different church because that's what this church is and that's what we believe and that's where we're going. Sign me up. That's what I want to be. I want my life to count for the kingdom. I don't want to accumulate stuff. I don't want to accumulate savings. I want to do what I can do right now. Sign me up. Would you bow your heads with me, please?